starting in chapter 6, verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of, our, of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jess. Uh, uh, if you're visiting, if you haven't met me before, just so you know, my name's Andrew. Uh, I'm one of the pastors at Village, and I lead the team over here in Village South. Um, and it's good to see you if you are visiting with us this morning. Um, it's good to see you if you're not visiting as well. It's always nice to see you. Uh, just to mention, if you are new and you want to find out more about our church, we have these little connection cards. Uh, we normally have them on the seats, but because they're, it's kind of a I mean, everything's a risk at the minute, isn't it? But uh, we, we just have some at the back on that wee uh, shelf on the way out. So if you want to, uh, so you can fill in some information in there, stick it in the box, in, and, uh, and a leader will get in touch with you this week, and, and we'd love to meet you and get to know you. Also, uh, you may have seen some people taking their kids out. If you have a baby, you want to take your baby or kid out, baby or kid out, you, if, if you want to go somewhere comfortable to feed or change or whatever, you can just go out throughout the door. There's some toys and all that kind of stuff. Um, I just want to address something before we get started this morning in our sermon, and as Lauren mentioned, uh, our, we've got these restrictions imposed on us again, um, so the next two Sundays are, uh, are going to be online where we can't meet together in person, and I want to address that, um, and I felt that particularly keenly when that news came out on Thursday, because if you know me, you know that I love Christmas, and you know that Advent is my, it's my absolute favorite time of the church calendar. I mean, am I allowed to say it? it should be Easter, right? Well, it maybe is Easter, but, but there's something about Advent where we anticipate and look forward to and put our hope once again in the coming of Jesus. And we as Christians put our hope in that second coming of Jesus. And, and, and maybe that this is coming in Advent is a good thing for us. And I think that what we're going to see in Hebrews 6 this morning is re- a really good word that we need to hear right now. But don't be discouraged. I know it's hard because we have to go into this lockdown again. But here's what I'm going to say. For us, our hope, is not be, our hope is not in being able to meet together or being able to go to, go, go to places we normally go to or being able to go to each other's houses, right? Our hope is not in those things. And here's what else I want to say. The church doesn't stop being the church just because we can't meet together. It's not our place to, to complain and grumble. Our place is to keep being the hands and feet of Jesus. So here's what I want you to do over the next few weeks as we go into this lockdown. Continue to praise Jesus, first and foremost. Continue to serve each other, right? Seek out the lonely people in our church and make sure that they're okay. Make sure that they have what they need. Make sure they feel connected. Make sure they don't get lost. Don't get lost in the busyness of your own family or your own situation. Seek out those lonely people who live on their own over the next few weeks. And then also serve your neighbors. You may not know, but there may be people who live around you 
who, who, who will be incredibly lonely over the, this Christmas period, over this Advent period. Um, so seek them out, serve them, love them, do whatever you can uh, to show them what we actually put our hope in. And that's how we continue to be the church. So don't lose heart, and hopefully we can be full of hope. And that's actually what this passage in Hebrews is about. As, as uh, Jess said, we're working our way through the book of Hebrews. That's what we do in Village. We just take, kind of take a chunk of the Bible and work our way through it uh, and allow God to speak to us that way. Um, and today we're in the second half of Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, and as we go online next week and then, uh, and then hopefully back together again before Christmas, uh, we're going to be uh, taking, a, uh, taking a break from Hebrews, pressing pause on that, and we're going to uh, start a new uh, Advent series for those four weeks leading up to Christmas, just anticipating. So we're going to come back to Hebrews again in the new year. Um, but just so you know, so look out for that. Um, so I wonder if I asked you uh, to tell me this morning what you think God wants for you. What does God want for you this morning? I, I don't know how you'd answer that question, but I'm guessing that it would be, your initial reaction would be something to do with you doing, something to do with you trying. Oh yeah, I know that God really wants me to pray more, right? Or I, 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 know, that, I know that I really should read my Bible more. Or I know that I should, uh, you know, serve the poor more. Maybe these are some of the things that initially come in your head if I ask you, what does God want from me? But the amazing thing is that I can actually tell you right now with 100% confidence what God wants for you this morning. How? Because it's in this passage that Jess read for us. And here's what we see in this passage, that God wants you to be encouraged. Isn't that class? That, that God desires for you to be encouraged. And, and I know this because if we read verses 17 and 18, right in the middle of this passage, it's right there. So I think it's going to be on the screen, uh, Ethan. Um, verses 17 and 18 of chapter 6. It says this, so when God desired, now let's pause there for a second. That word desired, that's not like a whim, right? That's not me, you know, last night going, let's get takeaway. <laughs> that's not what God is saying here. This word desired, it's, it's a powerful, purposeful decision. That God really wants this, okay? God really desires. And what does he desire? It goes on, to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, okay? So he wants to show convincingly some, this group of people called the heirs of the promise. Who are these people? Well, initially, that was uh, the, the, the children of Israel, right? That, that we're learning about in, in, through the book of Hebrews. But because we are God's children, through faith in Jesus, we inherit these promises too. So this is us. God desires to show us, the church, something. What does he want to show us? Well, it goes on. The unchangeable character of his purpose. He guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge, that's us. In other words, we have, we have run to Jesus for security and refuge and safety and help. That's us. We shelter in him so that we might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So if we put all this together, we've run to God for refuge, that's us, and we have become the heirs of his promises. We inherit all the promises of God, and God wants to show us, if you're a Christian this morning, if you're part of his church, then, then not just this church, his church, then God wants to show us the trustworthiness of his promises so that we would have strong encouragement. God wants us to be encouraged. So uh, when Lauren was reading out that list of words uh, this morning. There's so many in there that I identified with. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're thinking, 
ah, facing another, another two weeks of, of, of lockdown or, or, or facing a Christmas that looks different. God wants you to be encouraged. I, 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 sometimes I think we don't think of God this way. We think of God most of the time. Well, I do anyway. Maybe it's because I have daddy issues. But um, we think of God as this like 1950s angry dad, don't we? He doesn't want to be bothered. He just wants to be left alone. He gets angry a lot. He wants things a certain way. But God isn't like that at all. In fact, the Bible tells us that God is slow to anger. And here we see that God wants to encourage us. Not just encourage us, but to have strong encouragement, right? That word strong, it means powerful, it means potent, it means fortified. If this encouragement were uh, on the menu at the NAS, the NAS is the Indian restaurant, the Omer Road, go there, they're great guys, and they're really struggling right now, great. If this encouragement was on the menu there, it would have like five wee chilies beside it. It's, it's potent. This is the kind of encouragement that, he, that God wants us to have, in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of loneliness, in the middle of maybe hopelessness or, or, or worry or anxiety, God wants you to be encouraged. God loves us. And he doesn't want us to be discouraged or in despair or downheartened. And I think even that is an encouragement in itself. Even the fact that God wants us to be encouragement is an encouragement, right? He wants us to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. And it's in this hope that's set before us that we find this strong encouragement. So what is it? What is this hope? This passage is a passage about hope. This book, in many ways, is a book about hope. Last week, we saw this, this rebuke and this warning, this rebuke to not be immature and to the warning to not fall away from Jesus. But, but, but then here, it turns to hope. In verse 11 of chapter 6, we see, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Verse 18, so that by two unchangeable things, we'll come back to that later, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of hope, um, Maybe right now, the things you hope for are that I hope we get to have some kind of normal Christmas. That's a big one. That's all you hear in the news right now. Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. Maybe we hope that this, these vaccines that they found for COVID really work. I hope, I hope that this works. I hope that there can be an end to this thing. Another one is like, everyone's like, I just, ho- I, I just want 2020 to be over. <laughs> Isn't that a funny one? Because it's like, like December 31st, midnight, COVID's like, okay, lads, I'm checking out. I'm away. That's not going to happen like that. But when we think about hope, we tend to think of hope as something that we really want to happen, but it still might not, right? In this sense, human hope is at best optimism, isn't it? But this is not the kind of hope that the book of Hebrews is talking about. It's not the kind of hope that we as Christians have. Hope in this, uh, our hope is, is more than just a sense that things might get better or that we want things to get better. In the Bible, hope is focused on a person. All the way through the the Old Testament and the New Testament, our hope is in God. And because our hope is based in God, it's a sure thing. So what is the hope that's set before us? It's the hope that, that God will fulfill his promises to us. It's the hope that he will renew creation one day, that, that we will be with him in that new creation, that one day there will be an end to all evil and injustice. 
all of that will be done away with and that we will enter that eternal rest with him. The hope that we have that's set before us that is, this, is the full and never-ending life that he has promised to us through Jesus in his word. And there's three things that I think that this passage tells us about God that will, will, will give us the strong encouragement to hold on to that hope. It, I, I love this because he, he, the, the, the author, or, or again, I think this is a sermon, uh, this is a sermon that was recorded for us. I, I think the, he's saying, I want you to have encouragement to hold on to this hope. And here's three things about God that I want you to see because our hope's focused on God. So here's three things about the character of God that will give you that hope and that encouragement. So firstly, we see God's powerful name. That's the first thing about God, his powerful name. Now let's explore what that means. Verses 13, and I'm going to read it again, verses 13, starting at verse 13 down to 15. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. I don't know if you know the story of Abraham, but he brings in Abraham here as, as, as an example of someone who was given a promise by God and who also was a really good example of, of waiting patiently for that promise to be fulfilled. You see, and I'm going to, I'm going to give you the fast version here because we've got a lot of stuff to cover this morning, but Abraham was this person who uh, was, was chosen by God and God said, God, uh, God said, Abraham, I'm giving you a promise. It's called a covenant. He co- made a covenant with God that I will bless you and I'm going, to give you, uh, I'm going to bless the world through you. I'm going to give you so many descendants that it's going to, they're going to be like stars in the night sky or dust on the earth that you can't count them. And actually through your descendants is going to come the salvation of the world. That was the promise that God gave to Abraham. But there was only one problem. Abraham was old, like really old. And more than that, Sarah, his wife, was really old, like way beyond the age of having been able to have babies. But then, 25 years later, the impossible happens. Isaac, Abraham's son, is born. The promise begins to be fulfilled. Isaac actually means laughter. So you can imagine whenever Sarah realizes she's pregnant, that that they're laughing like, this is really happening. Like, we're really old and we have to start getting used to not sleeping at night again. (laughs) But then something happens just after after. God seems to begin to fulfill his promise. Something strange happened. God tells Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Now, now this is strange for us in so many levels because it has to do with child sacrifice, but it also has to do with with God seemingly wanting to take away the very fulfillment of the promise that Abraham had waited 25 years for. And he does this to to test his faith and, and, and to prove to Abraham that, listen, by the way, my fulfillment of my promise to you is nothing to do with you whatsoever. It's all me. And the amazing thing is that, that Abraham obeys. And, 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 and you can imagine him uh, early one morning waking Abraham, this young boy, up and said, come on, son, we're, we're going to get up and we're going to go and worship God. And he wakes up a couple of his servants and he says, load up the donkeys or camels or whatever they had. Get the firewood up there. We're going to go up to the mountains and we're going to worship God. And then he gets a certain way at the bottom of the hill and he says to the servants, you guys wait here. Me and the boy are going to go up there and then we'll come back again. Interestingly, it does say that Abraham said, we will come back again. I think there's something there about his faith. But anyway, but he's about to, you, you can imagine then he, he, he ties up Abraham and puts him on this altar. Um, and I, I can't even imagine, begin to imagine what was, that was like uh, little boy crying, maybe even screaming, 
just worried, or maybe the boy was just trusting his dad, but just the torture in Abraham's heart, but the, the desire to obey God, and he raises this knife. This is actually horrific to think about. He raises this knife, and just at that moment, an angel appears, an angel of the Lord, God's messenger, God's spokesperson, and he says, Abraham, stop. Stop what you're doing, because now I know that you fear the Lord. God knew because of his obedience to even give up on the promise that, to, to even, do you know what I'm saying? That he was willing to sacrifice his own son, sacrifice the, the, the very fulfillment of the promise that he knew that Abraham, was, was, uh, Abraham trusted him fully. And then he swears this oath to Abraham. You can see this in Genesis 22. And he says, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring. And so it goes on. He reiterates the promise, but this time he swears an oath. And this is the passage that Hebrews 6 is quoting here. The writer of Hebrews is probably the best example of how to read and apply the Old Testament. If you want to know how to read and apply the Old Testament, read Hebrews and he quotes this in verse 6, he says, he swore by himself. Because that's what he's talking about. God says to Abraham, by, Abraham, by myself I have sworn. Now the significance is that up to this point, God has promised. He's never sworn an oath. I was going to say he has only promised, but he, is, he has just said over and over again, uh, uh, this is how it will be, my promise to you. But now he swears an oath. And when somebody swears an oath, what do they do? They invoke something significant, something powerful right? So if you go to court, as someone in court, you swear on the Bible, don't you? Or, you, I mean, and, and we know that Christians shouldn't do this because Jesus tells us this uh, in Matthew, but, but, but you hear people saying, like, I swear to God, or I swear in my mother's life. Like, when you want to convince someone of something, you really mean it. You invoke something powerful, something significant. But what is there for God to swear by? Except his own name, I swear by myself, there is nothing more powerful. That's the power of God's name. When he wants to convince Abraham, he invokes his own power, his own name. And so God swears, he swears by his name. That's why we pray in Jesus' name, because his name is above all other names. And we say, in Jesus' name, let this be done. You don't say, in my name. That's worthless. God's name is powerful. He won't change his mind. And so we can rest assured that God's promise is true because he has sworn it by himself. And we have no reason whatsoever to doubt God's promise, to doubt uh, the hope that we have in him because his name is powerful. It's all powerful. There's nothing to match it. There's nothing that even comes close to it, never mind it overtakes it. And this promise that we see in, in, in verse 20, that, that Jesus is our high priest, this whole section that we're in is about Jesus being our high priest, that, that we have that promise because God has sworn it by his own name. Psalm 110, verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever uh, after the order of Melchizedek. We saw it last Sunday, we'll look at that after Christmas as well. This promise that Jesus is our priest we can trust that because God has sworn that by his name, and there is no other more powerful name. And that's the first part of our encouragement uh, God wants us to have. Secondly, then, uh, we see not just God's powerful name, but God's unchanging nature. 
verses 16 to 18, for people swear by something, we've already talked about that, greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. Now, this sometimes, this is, might be hard for us to understand a little bit in our culture, but in the ancient Near East, uh, if there was a dispute between two people, like a legal dispute, you would swear an oath, and that would be your guarantee that you would do what you said to do. Now, now we know that someone, anyone could go to court today and say, like, yes, Your Honor, I swear I didn't do it. Well, we have you on CCTV stealing that car. And they're like, well, I swear that wasn't me. And then the judge is like, oh, you swore an oath? Okay, that's definitely not you. You're off. It doesn't make sense to us. But, but in, in ancient times, to swear an oath was, was, to, it was unbreakable. You would, I swear I will pay back this money I owe. Well, then that, that, that word was taken as guaranteed. And here's the thing. And, and the author's using this idea of swearing oaths to, to, to communicate that, that God's unbreakable word. But here's the thing. God doesn't have to swear an oath, does he? God's word is enough. It says here that he cannot lie. So why does he swear an oath? Think about the power of God's word. He, he spoke and the universe came into being. So why does he swear an oath? Well, he does it for our benefit. One of my favorite things about the Advent and Christmas is that it's, it's about God coming down to our level. It's about God meeting us where we are. God condescends to us. And, and this is why he swears an oath. He meets us where we are. He met Abraham where he was. He didn't do it for his benefit, to make his word like sure, because his word was always sure, but he did it for, for our benefit. And I think he does this for two reasons. Firstly, to show the unchanging nature of his purpose. You see that in verse 17. To show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, that's us, the unchangeable character of his purpose. He wants us to be absolutely sure that his purpose never changed. God has one purpose, and he never deviates from that purpose. He, he never flits between ideas. It took me a long time uh, to, to figure out where, what I was doing in life. And every time I would try something new, I'd be like, this is it, 100%. I'm not, I'm not really a half-in, half-out kind of person. I'm a, like 100% in, and that gets me into trouble a lot. But it took me a long time flitting between ideas. I could be sure and then sure of this and then sure of this. Not so with God. He has only one purpose that he never deviates from, to glorify himself by creating a people for himself by rescuing them from sin and death. That's his purpose. And he doesn't deviate from it. And so uh, we, we, we can be sure of this unchanging purpose because he has sworn this oath for our benefit, not for his benefit. And secondly, the, the, second, uh, the second reason he does this for our benefit is so that we might have that strong encouragement, so that we can be absolutely sure. Listen, God said this. Yeah, I know. Well, don't just, he, he also says, don't just take my word for it, even though my word is 100% sure. I've swore an oath. So no matter what comes along, listen, they can, there, there can be lockdowns, there can be whatever it might be, sickness, death, whatever, and we can be 100% sure. We can hold on to hope because God has promised and he has sworn an oath, and God cannot lie. Anybody can swear an oath and not actually mean it, but not God. We can simply take him at his word, but yet in his grace and his kindness to us, just coming to our level, knowing that we're people of doubt and, 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 and we, we want to disbelieve. And he says, listen, you can believe me. 
because I am God. But listen, I'm going to make it doubly sure for you. I've sworn an oath. And so now our hope is based on two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Unchangeable thing one is his promise and his word, which is unchangeable. And the unchangeable thing number two is the fact that he's sworn an oath. We have this double guarantee that he will fulfill his promise. But, but actually, I think we have this like triple whammy, like this triple guarantee, because not only has God said he'd do it, not only has he sworn an oath, but he's actually proven it. God has proven his word. And that's the third thing I want us to see about God's character this morning. God's proven faithfulness. God isn't someone that says, you know what, you know what one of the most common things in our culture is that I've noticed? Um, I do it too. We all do it. It's like, hey, do you want to do that thing? Oh, yeah, that sounds really good. And you have no intention of doing it. God never, ever does that. When God says it, it's as good as done. Listen to verses 19 and 20. We have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Not only did God make the promise, not only did he guarantee it with an oath, or, or an oath, not an oath, <laughs> an oath something different, an oath, Our encouragement is to be strengthened today. This strong encouragement we have is because God actually followed through. Like God did what he said he was going to do, didn't he? God proved that he is faithful to keep his word through the incarnation, through the life, through the death, through the resurrection, and through the ascension of Jesus. Now, I just said a bunch of stuff there that that was a lot to take in, so let me break that down for us. The incarnation is what we celebrate at Christmas, that, that God became one of us. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and made His home among us. God became one of us. This is the first part of God proving His faithfulness to us, proving His promises. Secondly, the life of Jesus. This life, He he lived the life as one of us, getting hungry, feeling sick, having headaches, feeling tempted to do different things. Maybe having a crush on a girl whenever he's like a teenager or whatever. I don't know. I'm sure he did because he was a teenage boy. But doing that perfectly, in perfect obedience, showing us what it was like to obey God and, and, and learning how to be one of us, experiencing all the things we experience. Not only his incarnation, not only his life, but then his death. And in, in, in the ultimate part of becoming one of us, he didn't just take on the good parts of becoming one of us. He took on, he experienced the fullness of being one of us, including death, the the inevitability of death that we all face. Jesus said, I'm all in, even to the point of death. And he died for one of us, that perfect sacrifice that we talked about, dying in our place, taking on that that punishment that, that, that should have been ours. He faced the wrath of God so that we don't have to. But not just his incarnation, not just his life, not just his death, but his resurrection. Another level of God fulfilling his promise to us, showing that his word is faithful. He did what no other sacrifice for sin had ever done in, in, in all of Israel's past. Came back to life. And, and, and in that, he proved that he is the once and for all sacrifice. Because he defeated the curse, the curse of sin, which is death. Isn't that incredible? 
And then not just his incarnation, his life, his death, and his resurrection, but his ascension. You know that story that we celebrate after Easter? That Jesus went to be with the Father again, in bodily form, in human form, took our human nature with him to where? The very presence of God. This is what it means when it says in, in verse 19 that we have assurance that, uh, that a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. So behind the curtain, he's talking about the temple. So, okay, if you don't understand the, 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 the Jewish temple, the, the, um, they had a curtain, a thick curtain, not just like a curtain we have in our windows, but a heavy, thick curtain. It was a foot wide, thick, not wide, thick, that separated us, separated the people from the presence of God. And so Jesus has gone behind the curtain in his ascension. He, he's, he, he's come and become one of us. He's learned how to be one of us. He's died as one of us. He's, he's come back from the dead as, as one of us. And now he's gone to the very presence of God as one of us. Behind the curtain. And, and, and what's incredible about this is that verse 20 tells us where Jesus has gone as a forerunner. This is, I think this is where we really see the source of our hope this morning, Right? Because a forerunner just means that, that where he has gone, we will go too. That's what it means. Because Jesus is there in the presence of God, in human form, we will go too. When I left the house this morning, it was dark. And I was uh, crossing the street and I just happened to look, uh, look up in the sky. And, and kind of low in the sky to the southeast, really, really bright star. And it was Venus. And another name for Venus is the morning star. In the olden days, before they knew the names of the planets, they called it the morning star. And they called it the morning star because uh, the morning star appeared uh, just before dawn. So the morning star was their guarantee that, that dawn was coming. It appears just before sunrise. And as I, walked, I was walking up Sunnyside Street here this morning, and it was still dark, but as I looked over here to the east, you could start to see the light coming up above the hill like on the horizon. And so you've seen the morning star, this guarantee that the dawn is coming, and then you see the dawn starting to arrive. Well, just as the morning star is the guarantee that dawn is coming, Jesus is our guarantee that a new day is coming. One with no COVID, one with no separation, one with no anxiety, one with no pain, one with no sickness, one with no grief, one with no insecurity, one with no confusion. Because Jesus has gone, we will go. He is the head and we are the body. And where the head goes, the, the body follows. The fact that Jesus is in the presence of God means that we are guaranteed to follow. And God proved that he is faithful to keep his promise. Because Jesus has entered into the presence of God. Because Jesus has gone there as our forerunner. If you are a Christian, you will be in the presence of God one day. 100% sure. It's a done deal. Your place in heaven with God is, is just as real as you sitting in this room right now. Can you grasp that? It's impossible that God will not fulfill his... It's impossible that God will not fulfill his promise to you. It, that's how we start to have our encouragement strengthened in the face of everything that's going on in life. That's what we need to keep our, our focus on, right? 
And it's no wonder then that, that the pastor in Hebrews says that we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor. Our anchor is our hope, and our hope is completely and definitely certain. The, the phrase that he uses here is kind of means like uh, an, an anchor secured to an immovable object. You've heard me talk about this guy before, a uh, YouTube channel I follow called The Fish Locker. But, but if he doesn't anchor his boat on the reef or on the rocks, if he, he, and then go to sleep, he, he would wake up in the morning and be drifted off goodness knows where. An anchor is only as good as the thing that it's secured to. And the anchor is our hope and the immovable object is, that, is Jesus in the presence of God. Our anchor is, is kind of tethered to Jesus in the presence of God. Does that make sense? This is our sure and steadfast anchor. That it's impossible for God not to fulfill his promise to us. So what does this mean for us? What does all of this mean for us, this hope and this encouragement? What does it mean for us? How, do we, how, do we, how does this impact our lives right here? Well, let me think about this for a second. I think that this strong encouragement that we're getting this morning from this hope, it speaks to two of our most fundamental needs as human beings. Our need for hope and our desire for security. So everybody needs hope, don't we? And what happens is when we put our hope in things in life, we tend to have these cycles of looking forward to something good that's coming up and then maybe feeling a bit down after it's over. Like you do, looking forward to Christmas and then January, oh, I'm sad that's over. Or looking forward to going on holiday, oh, I'm a bit sad that's over. We need something to look forward to. We need hope to survive. And hope right now is in short supply. I read um, I, I didn't read the study because I, I read results of a, a mental health study, a, a study uh, by the Mental Health Foundation in the UK. And they did, this, they did this study in late August 2020, so a couple of months ago. And, it said, and here's some of the results. Almost, like 45%, so almost half of the population in the UK felt anxious or worried in the previous two weeks. Nearly one in five people, that's 18%, reported feeling lonely in the previous two weeks. Similarly, similarly, the same proportion of people, 18%, had felt afraid in the last two weeks. 15% of the population reported feeling hopeless, while, just, while over 1 in 10 stated that they had been panicked in the previous two weeks. And here's the most sobering one. The proportion of people who experienced suicidal thoughts or feelings in the previous two, two weeks was steady at 10%. One in 10 people having suicidal thoughts or feelings. So in this world, let me ask us, where is our hope going to be? What are you looking forward to? Where are you going to find your hope? In a vaccine? In a new year? Because none of those things are sure. I mean, we, pray that we, we pray that the vaccine works right. We pray that this, this pandemic ends. We trust God that it will. And, and we, 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 we hope we see the new year. But neither of those things are guaranteed. Nothing we, nothing we put our hope in is guaranteed. The only sure hope that we have is the hope that's found in God that's based in the fulfillment of His promise through Jesus. The hope that comes from, from his word being sure and him swearing no to us and then following through on that. But what about our need for security? All human beings desire secure, security, right? 
We all do. We all feel, I mean, we all feel insecure about things. You all have things, I know you do, because you're human, that you feel insecure about. What, so think about some of the ways you try to find security. Money, possession, relationships, health. Are any of those things really secure? Really? Maybe you think that you'll have security when you get married. Yes, then I'll feel that security. Uh, can I tell you as someone who's been married for a while? No, you won't. Sometimes you'll feel secure in that, but no, you won't. I still deal with the insecurities about my personality and all the rest of the things that come along with me, even though I'm married to someone who 100% loves me. Maybe you think you'll have security. When I can finally own my own house, then I'll have security. No, you won't. I mean, those things are fine. They're good things to pursue. But they're terrible things to find security in. Even the best marriage, no matter how good it is, best case scenario is temporary, right? Even if you go through life and live to be 100 years old, it's temporary. None of these things are really secure. None of the things that, that, that we put our hope in, our jobs, our family, our, our relationships, money. People get sick. People die. We lose our jobs. We lose our money all the time. If 2020 has shown us anything, is that nothing in the world is secure. Nothing. But there is hope, right? The hope that's found in Jesus. That security lies behind the curtain in the very presence of God. That it's 100% sure. Our security is based on the power of God's name. Our security in the fact that he never changes and that it's impossible for him to lie and that he has actually proved his faithfulness through Jesus that he will and has kept his word. That's what we need to put our hope in. That's how we can be strongly encouraged. The hope that we find in God is the only source of true hope. And I would be absolutely doing you a disservice and betraying myself and betraying God if I didn't say that to you. You have to find your hope in God. Now, everything else is, is, is hopeless. Like, like Tom Lettison singing, all other, all other ground is just sinking sand, just quicksand. Let's, let's find our hope in God. And, and, and this is where I want to finish, our, our response to this. How do we respond? Uh, we, we find some encouragement that God cannot and will not ever let us down. He's proved his faithfulness to us. We're going to put our hope in him. But what does that look like? Well, firstly, I want to say this. If you're, if, you're, if you're not a Christian, if you've never believed in Jesus, then this is available for you too. This 100% sure hope is available to you too that can't be find, found anywhere else. And all you have to do is just, just accept that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises to you. That's all you have to do. Just put your hope in Him. But if you are a Christian, like most of us in this room are, then I, I hope that we've been, I hope, <laughs> I want us to have all been strongly encouraged by this. And I hope that you're putting your hope in Jesus. But we need to respond in patience. Patience. Verse 12. Be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Like Abraham. God's promises are true. We know this. But promises always require patience, right? Think about it. If I say, right, I promise you I'll pay you back that money you lent me in two weeks. 
If I was just paying you the money back there and then, it wouldn't have to be a promise. Promises require patience. There's always a time of waiting. Nothing, uh, promises never really fulfilled straight away. Abraham, whose example we're to follow, had to wait 25 years for his promise to be fulfilled. And honestly, he wasn't, even though he was a good example, his faith and his patience were not perfect. At one point, him and Sarah, his wife, cook up this idea that, that he'll have a, a baby with one of his servants, a much younger woman. And so they do that, trying to speed up God's plan, God's purposes. And I'm guessing, if you're anything like me, your faith is far from perfect. You probably spend more time doubting than you do believing. You probably spend more time wishing things were different than you do just accepting things the way they are and that God is still in control and that he will fulfill his promises. And we live in a world that hates waiting. We're brought up and we're trained to not wait. If we want something, we just order it on Amazon Prime and it arrives tomorrow. We, have, we carry around our phones that, that, that are literally billions of dollars are spent on these things to give us information instantly. I read recently that if a website doesn't load within three seconds, it loses 70% of its traffic. Three seconds. You can't wait three seconds for your website to load. I know I can't. I'm like, what's wrong with this thing? Oh, there it is. <laughs> That's what I do. Why is this not working? Oh, okay, there it is. 25 years ago, uh, an American uh, writer uh, called Jack Hayford said, waiting is not in style and patience has never been a forte of, of the flesh. <laughs> I love that. But listen, I'm really, really finished here. Patience and waiting for the Lord is part of God's plan for us. It's part of how God makes us more like Jesus. God uses our times of waiting to, to, to teach us how to be more like Jesus. And, and, and God is more interested in our growing than he is in our getting. God is more interested in our growth than he is about us getting what we want when we want it. And maybe you're frustrated. Maybe you're frustrated about, it could be COVID restrictions, or it could be waiting on, I don't know, a house sale to go through, or, or some other situation that you just, I wish, I wish this could be different. I wish this wasn't the way it is. But the way of Jesus isn't rushed. It's slow. It's about abiding with him every day. And you say, well, I don't really know how to do that. Well, listen, uh, we struggle because we're trained not to wait. We're trained not to abide. We have so, we have so many uh, distractions that, that give us instant gratification, keep us distracted. Don't teach us how to wait, but teach us how to be impatient. And we need to figure out how we're going to learn how to wait. How we're going to learn how to patiently trust in God's promises. That's part of our three-year vision for us as a church. Part of that is, 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 is equipping and teaching us as a church how to abide with Jesus in the everyday. And in the new year, we're going to look at ways of how we can lead and teach and guide you guys in practical ways how to learn how to abide with Jesus. But I want to finish with this. I've said finish quite a lot, but I really, really am done. Um, in these times of waiting, we enter this period of Advent. I know Advent starts next Sunday, but everyone's getting their decorations up early this year. We need some hope, don't we? In this season of Advent that we enter into, it's, an, it's a season of anticipation, of trusting 
It's trusting that the dawn will come over the horizon, that, that, that we can see the morning star in the sky, of trusting that something better lies ahead, that God has and will fulfill his promises. And what we need in this uh, period, not just waiting for Christmas or, or the end of COVID, but waiting for Jesus' return, we need the right posture. So are you going to be anxious or impatient Or are you just going to hold fast that hope that is set before us? Because he has and will fulfill his promise to us. I'm going to finish by reading an excerpt from a little devotional book by Charles Spurgeon. He was this preacher in the early 19th century. But this is what he said. He said, Waiting is one of the postures which a Christian learns not without years of teaching. (laughs) So, If you don't know how to wait, you're going to have to spend years learning how to do this. Marching and quick marching are much easier to God's warriors than standing still. There are hours of perplexity when the most willing spirit, the most anxiously desirous to serve the Lord, know not what part to take. Then what shall it do? Vex itself by despair? Fly back in cowardice? Turn to the right hand in fear? Or rush forward in presumption? No, but simply wait. Wait in prayer, however. Call upon God and spread the case before him. Tell him your difficulty and plead his promise of aid. But wait in faith. Express your unstaggering confidence in him. For unfaithful, untrusting waiting is but an insult to the Lord. Believe that if he keeps you tarrying even till midnight, yet he will come at the right time. The vision shall come and shall not tarry. Wait in quiet patience, not rebelling because you're under affliction, but blessing your God for it. Never murmur against the cause as the children of Israel did against Moses. Never wish you could go back to the world again, but accept the case as it is and put it as it stands, simply with your whole heart without any self-will into the hand of your covenant God, saying, Now, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. I know not what to do. I am brought to extremities, but I will wait until you drive back my foes. I will wait if you keep me many a day, for my heart is fixed upon you alone, O my God. And my spirit waits for you in the full conviction that you will yet be my joy and my salvation, my refuge and my strong tower. So let our encouragement be strengthened. I know I've gone on long this morning, but let our encouragement be strengthened in the middle of everything that's going on in the world around us. Just hold on to that absolute certain hope that we have. I can't change the situation that's doing my head in, Lord. That's okay to say that, but still, I trust you, and I trust that your new day is coming. God will keep his promises. His name is powerful, his word is unchanging, and he has proved his faithfulness through Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's not, uh, it's not natural for us to wait. We don't know how to do it. We don't like it. Teach us, Lord, to wait on you, to have patience, to trust you, to see again that your word is unchanging, that, that your name is powerful, and that you have proved that you will fulfill your promises to us through Jesus. Lord, even as we have to now leave this place and contemplate not seeing each other for another few weeks, 
Lord, our hope is unwavering because our hope's in you. And your church is still a church whether we get together or not. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that for all of us, especially the most desperate in this room this morning, those people who just wish whatever situation could be different, they could just get rid of it. Uh, Lord, that you would uh, give us patience. Your way is slow, but your way is good. and You love us and you want us to be strongly encouraged. Lord, let's take the encouragement that you offer for us this morning. In Jesus' name, for his glory, we pray. Amen.